It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. We made it to the end of March, which means the conclusion of March Madness and... It has been the most phenomenal NCAA March Madness tournament that I've ever witnessed and ever seen because when you get a 16 seed defeating a number one seed on the first day, you say, okay, well, that's a fluke. Things, the big dogs will wind up. We'll have the Blue Bloods in the Final Four. But here it is, Michael Bronner. Two weeks later, for the men's Final Four, San Diego State, FAU, Miami, and UConn. And if you would have told me that two weeks ago, I would have told you, show me the money. Because if you make that bet and your bracket is not busted before that, you're going to be a rich person. It has certainly been an unpredictable march. Uh, Didn't go the way a lot of people wanted it to go in terms of uh, at least – you know, in that top left region, but it is what it is. You know, a lot of Alabama fans, myself included, probably wishing they were traveling to Houston today, but it is what it is, and nothing you can do about it now. Uh, so here we are. Yeah, it's still in Mobile on, uh, on Friday. You get to you get to hear my voice anyway. Uh, and but no, in all seriousness, it's gonna be it's gonna be good stuff. You got the mid two te- two mid major squads facing off for a shot to play for a national championship. You know, a dominant force in UConn, and then a Miami team who. It's already taken down three really good teams in their path here, so we'll see if they can do it again. Excited about today's March Madness show, of course, being March 31st. We'll turn the chapter. The next time we talk to you guys on Monday, we'll be knowing who's playing for the national championship in men's basketball. The women's Final Four, well, it is kind of taking the world by storm this year because with there being no Blue Bloods, In men's basketball, you at least have some superstar power here in women's basketball. LSU taking on Virginia Tech tonight and Iowa taking on South Carolina. And at 3.30, we'll speak to Yolisha Jackson, who is the new women's basketball coach at the University of South Alabama. She comes from South Florida. And in the first round of the NCAA Women's Tournament, it was her responsibility She was in charge of the scout for the South Carolina Lady Gamecocks trying to find a way to slow down Dawn Staley's powerful and undefeated South Carolina Lady Gamecocks. And they're going for back-to-back titles. It's hard enough to win one, but to be undefeated and try to go back-to-back, look forward to speaking with her about her vision for South Alabama women's basketball and what she expects to see in the championship final four tonight and who she expects to see in the national championship game. Also scheduled to join us, Michael, at 430. Antoine Petway, Alabama's assistant coach. 
is scheduled to join us at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, Rush Propes, who is the new head coach, officially approved at Pell City, will be joining us at 5 o'clock, making his debut on the final drive. So a very busy day here on WNSP 105.5. And looking forward to not only knowing that it's March Madness and everything that goes on with March Madness, one of the things that a lot of people get excited about, and including myself, just so happens this is the way it falls on the calendar, WrestleMania 39. Oh, here we go. WrestleMania 39 is at SoFi Stadium, and it's so big, Michael Bronner. They had to break down WrestleMania into two days. Two days. You'll get Saturday and Sunday's card. And, of course, you have John Cena. You can't see me, John Cena. We'll be taking on Austin Theory. That's one of the big matches on Saturday along with on Sunday. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns, take on Cody Rhodes. And that Cody Rhodes would be Dusty Rhodes' son. And I love wrestling, Mike. And I, I get excited for WrestleMania, and they've made it a two-day event. I know growing up watching WrestleMania 1, uh, Hulk Hogan era, of course, on Saturday mornings, you you watch Hulkamania and his cartoons. If you can have a cartoon, you you know you're doing something right, Bronner. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I'm I'm just a little bit too young to uh, to have missed you know the the Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan all, all all that era. I I just I didn't grow up with it. It wasn't a big thing. I I get it's it's a big thing. A lot of people like it. It's just not really for me. Uh, I I don't know if I'd go so far as to pull out the F word. The F word being fake. Uh, uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> watch out now. Watch watch out saying the fake word. Yeah, you know, and I I think most people, you probably yourself included, understand that it's not real, right? No, that's where you're wrong, Michael Bronner. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we it go. It is scripted. Yeah. Scripted so fake. is the outcome. But fake, I don't think anybody jumping 25 or 30 feet in the air and waiting to come down and land on someone who's on a table is fake. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. And I'm not saying I could do it or you could do it or anything like that, but it is scripted entertainment, no? It is scripted entertainment. I will go in to say it's sports entertainment, but they are real deal athletes. And I think that when you start looking at people like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan, when you start seeing them become iconic and global superstars from something that people like yourself call fake then I, I know that they said rick flair whoo he'll show you fake he has something for you to show you that it's fake no they're, they're real talented athletes and and of course it is scripted outcome but it is sports entertainment and when you draw 70 to seventy-five thousand people into a venue that only happens once a year and a lot of people get excited, looking forward to it. WrestleMania is this weekend. And, of course, because I love wrestling, I'm going to talk about 
later on in the show who's going to actually be participating over these two days. But we'll go to what's at hand first, which is, of course, March Madness. And March Madness being here with us. Not scripted. Not scripted March as Madness. As far as we know. Uh, well, I, I, I'll tell you, you know, point shaving, you begin to, to, to wonder why you hit buckets or not, don't hit buckets or take shots and don't take shots to, to get into people's pockets at points in time. But UAB last night mm. could not come away with the NIT championship. They fall to North Texas 68-61, to 61, and they have fallen to North Texas three times this season, was able to beat them in the conference semifinal championship and eliminate them. Them in North Texas took that personal and – Pretty much in a back-and-forth game, not necessarily early, but late in the game, it was still fun to watch. And you were hoping Andy Kennedy could really bring back the first NIT championship to UAB. Yeah, they went up by like four with a few minutes left. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a beatdown by any means. North Texas started the game up, what was it, 10, 12, nothing. Kind of dominating a little bit, and, uh, and UAB, UAB got it together, and... I think they were down what five. I think they were down ten at halftime, as as a matter of fact, actually, and ultimately just weren't able to do enough to get it done. And it is what it is. But UAB will be playing in bigger games than the NIT championship, hopefully. Well, I think that Andy Kennedy definitely has the UAB program at the right place because coming off a year removed from making the NCAA tournament again, FAU and Conference USA all-time now in postseason play, including the CBI, the College Basketball Invitation, 18-2 and two overall. And, and uh, you had to have a loser last night out of North Texas and UAB. So out of those two losses, one of those is by your own conference opponent. And I know that UAB will be leaving conference usa so i think that that's that's interesting too but jelly walker was phenomenal to watch the last two years and the way he's been able to capitalize off his nil and his nickname i think is spectacular as well yeah i talk about one of the more electric players to watch in college basketball jelly walker is certainly near the top of the list there i think a lot of people became familiar with his name uh, when UAB made it to the NCAA tournament last year, and you know he had another great season this year. Obviously, UAB ran into the titan that is FAU in in the uh, conference championship game, lost by what was it, 22 or whatever it was, uh, and just ultimately, yeah, as it turned out, FAU was really good and have continued to prove that, and may may even make it all the way to the national championship. Who knows? They might cut down the nets, but no, I mean uh, for UAB to. Make it to the NIT championship and and have an opportunity to win it. Uh, certainly a, a big, you know, good for the program to be exposed on a national stage like that for sure. The most wins in school history for the UAB Blazers could not get over the hump. But when you start talking about getting over the hump, Purdue as a one seed mm -hmm. could not beat a 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson. Lost to a 15 last year. And my question as today, Zach Eady, the AP player of the year. Unanimously. Unanimously. That's that's the thing that kind of disturbs me the most. Averaged 22.3 points per game and 12.8 rebounds per game. But for him to unanimously 
be selected as the AP player of the year, I think that I, I would have gone in the direction of Drew Timmy myself, uh, Timmy time. And, and I think that he had, when you start looking at the voting, it really makes you wonder, when does the voting take place? Does the voting take place prior to the NCAA tournament beginning? I have to assume it does, uh, but I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it definitely is a regular season award. It doesn't include the tournament, so it, it certainly is supposed to be a regular season award. I, I have to assume that, like, for the for example, the NFL MVP, they, they do that voting at the end of the regular season then just hold off on announcing it. So I would suspect it's been done. If it hadn't been done, uh, you know, you, you, you'd I understand it's a regular season award, but if you're voting for that after the tournament or, you know, in the middle of the tournament, rather, you'd struggle to not include losing to a 16 seed and Edie didn't touch the ball for eight minutes straight down the stretch as uh, as a factor there but it is what it is Edie is phenomenal he's a great college basketball player I don't know what he'll be at the next level if anything it's his style of play seems to have almost passed by for uh, from an NBA standpoint but yeah I mean Timmy would have been a great choice Jalen Wilson from Kansas would have been a great choice Brandon Miller would have been a great choice uh, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, all, all all those guys, you know, you really couldn't go wrong with any of them. So it's interesting that Tim, uh, the Edie rather was unanimously selected as uh, the Player of the Year there. But you know, not 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 something to get super upset over. Seven foot four, and he's from Canada, and again, unanimously the AP All American and Big Ten Player of the Year, and he finished sixth nationally in scoring. So it's not solely an award based on how many points you score and not taking anything away from the yeah, big factor, 10 and factor in the plays. rebounds there too. And, and, and 12 and a half rebounds, but at seven foot four, I think that's the type of dominance that you want to see. But you saw Timmy time really take over from, from Gonzaga against TCU. And of course, when you look at Gonzaga opening up against Grand Canyon, and of course it was definitely Timmy time against UCLA and you know he's getting the ball every possession. To me, that's kind of where I leaned. And, of course, if Brandon Miller was not going to be selected or in a position to win it, then my, me personally, I like Drew Timmy. Did, uh, was it Sheboy last year? Oscar Sheboy, yes, it was. And, and for him and Kentucky to struggle the way that they did, yeah. You, you're a first-team All-America AP Player of the Year last year, and then you turn around and you're a second-team All-American this year. It makes you wonder, should you have gone ahead and taken the money and run? But I don't think he was a first-round pick last year, and I don't think he is now. It, it's funny. like I love Sheboy's game. I love watching oh, he's him a play. He, he's, he's, he's an artist. <laughs> Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner joining you on the last day of March. March Madness has truly been good to the NCAA and those fans that watched it in the first and second round as the viewership shattered records in regards to the first and second round and it's dropped off since the third and fourth and of course coming up for the final four we were talking about the prices of women's final four tickets that are being held at american airlines center in dallas 
versus the price of men's final four tickets that are in Houston, Texas. And the women's tickets are going for more than the men's tickets, Michael Bronner. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you don't have the blue bloods of men's college basketball last year when you have Duke and North Carolina and Kansas. Of course, their fan bases are going to travel and their names speak for themselves, but women's basketball tickets and the viewership of women's basketball for this NCAA tournament have been breaking records as well. Yeah, I mean, the men's tickets were going for $400 plus for nosebleeds, and then uh, what happened happened in terms of Alabama losing, Houston losing, Texas losing, really really teams that would have attracted fans there. And now you can get into all sessions for less than 100 bucks, uh, which... You know, if you're a Houston resident who's a fan of basketball, good, good for you. But no, nah, for for the women's, yeah, I think you're you're looking at probably 300 bucks to get into just to get in uh, to the American Airlines Center in Dallas. So huge, love love that for for women's basketball. You know, Caitlin Clark, probably Caitlin Clark has a lot to do with that. You know, the fact that there's a legitimate marketable star in women's college basketball. The you know she's trying to pull off this huge upset. I know they're still like 11 point underdogs against South Carolina, which is hard to believe with how how well she's played and how well Iowa has played but I guess that's just the reality of how good South Carolina is uh but yeah I mean it's great to see no doubt well I, I like the fact that it's showing growth and it's all about matchups as well of course Angel Reese playing for the LSU Tigers and they call her baby Barbie on top of like Bayou you just Barbie. mentioned Bayou Barbie Barbie Caitlin Clark 40 point triple double that that's unheard of has never been done men or women in the NCAA tournament and Aaliyah Boston trying to continue to take care of her business. I think that that's spectacular for the women's game, but you mentioned that the seating of course is different than an arena versus a dome stadium. And I think that 40 years ago, men's basketball Women's basketball is 40 years to date behind men's basketball, but as it continues to grow, if you can sell out an 18, 19,000 seat arena, I think that that just goes to continue to show what you're going to have from a growth standpoint. And that's going to be some great basketball play tonight LSU, Virginia Tech, Iowa, and South Carolina. Now, as we're talking about players that are in the Final Four, of course, Charles Bediaco and JQ from Alabama would have loved to have been there, but they put their names in the hat, kind of like we talked about yesterday, to test the NBA waters. And Quinterly is one of the rare ones. Six years he can have of eligibility if he decides to come back next year for Alabama and Bediaco still a baby to me. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. I Quinterly, I... I, I see it kind of as a 50 50 uh whether he comes back or not i, I don't know what kind of feedback he's going to get from an nba standpoint he was obviously very up and down this season very good down the stretch one of one of the better players on the team and at his best he was dominant you know see the, see the second game against auburn for example uh but obviously at his worst he, he's reckless with the ball and turns the ball over and looks like a looks like a 
player who makes a lot of young player mistakes, but obviously he's a fifth-year college basketball player. He's not a young player by any means. So uh, I'd call it 50-50. I'd love to have Quinterly back. As for Bidiaco, it's nice because guys now you're able to go – you know, quote unquote, when you hear, oh, Bidiaco's entering the draft. No, he's not. He's going to test the waters, fi- get some feedback from scouts. Like, this was very much an expected thing, at least from people who know more than I do, uh, for Bidiaco to put his name in there, get some feedback from scouts, find out what he needs to work on. Like, it would be a huge shock if Bidiaco does not pull his name back at, like, he's. Bidiaco's going to be back at Alabama. I understand, like, hearing Bidiaco, oh, he's testing the draft waters, like, oh, but, uh, you know, what if he's not back? It'd be bad if Bidiaco is not back. Uh, yeah, that's the defensive anchor of the team, but I, I would be very, very, very shocked if he's not back. He's got a lot to work on from an offensive standpoint. He's still making 36% from the free throw line. I mean, there there is quite a lot of incentive for Charles Bidiaco to come back next year, both for himself and for Alabama, uh, so I certainly hope he does come back, but yeah, I, I, I think it is good that there's a system in place where you're able to get that feedback from NBA scouts while still maintaining your eligibility. You have until May 31st to go ahead and would affirm your status or withdraw your name from NBA draft contention, but it is good that you can continue to hire an agent because back in the days, that's a no-no. As soon as you hired an agent, yeah, your eligibility it. was done. So I think that's kind of what NIL yep. has done and how it's changed the dynamics. Quinn Early's making some money, too, at Alabama. He's he's one of, uh, and I don't know what Brandon Miller was making this year, but Quinn Early was is probably one of the more higher-paid NIL athletes on campus, just, you know, the whole jelly fam thing. He's naturally a very marketable guy. Uh, so in terms of money-wise, there's incentive for him to come not you know I and again I don't I don't know what kind of draft stock he's looking at uh you'd have to I mean we'll, maybe we'll get an NBA scout on next week or something and and talk about all these guys but I so I I would imagine Quinterly's not in contention to be a first round pick he'd probably be a second round pick JD I mean look at JD Davison last year there was no chance he was going to come back but he fell to the second round he's been in the G League all season he's actually playing really really well in the G League I know if if you've forgotten the name JD Davison he's averaging 20 plus in the G League for the main Celtics or whatever it is uh, he's actually had a really nice season but you got for JD who is 19 I mean it makes more sense for him the G League is better competition than he's going to be facing at Alabama so he's out there developing and becoming a better player while also making a good bit of money too well you can make that money and again hearing your name called at all in the NBA draft first or second round that's special and that's what happened with Davidson and had an opportunity to watch him in high school at Calhoun wish you have stuck around for another year with the Crimson Tide but definitely can understand why the Boston Celtics wanted to take that opportunity to draft him. Now, also yesterday, Major League Baseball opened up, Michael, and I know that as right here before we go to talk with Coach Jackson, the new head coach for the University of South Alabama Women's Basketball Program, opening day disaster at Dodger Stadium as it's 2023 and if you have not learned, do not come on to the field or a stage of <laughs> a professional or while a professional is performing, or you will absolutely get clobbered and yeah. clocked and, and get the hell beat out of you. Well, and it wasn't even, and if you haven't seen the video, go find it on Twitter. It's all over the place. So what happened was a guy 
ran onto the field to do his marriage proposal and uh, got down on one knee. And as he's sitting there with one knee, just gets Brian Dawkins decked by a security guard. The ring box went flying. Listen, man, I... I'm all for love. I, I think that's all well and good. You want to propose at a sporting <laughs> event? Good, good on you, man. You don't need to run onto the, onto Wait the field. Wait for the kiss do. cam. Listen, if she, was, if she was going to say yes, she would have said yes with you standing next to her in the stands. You didn't need to run onto the field to do it, and you certainly didn't need the probable broken rib and the arrest and probably $10,000 fine that you just received. That's not a way to start a marriage off, man. What are hey, you doing? He, he said it was worth it because she said yes. She would have said yes regardless, I hope, or at least why, or at least that wasn't the right one for him. But Gets I, an A for uh, effort, uh, for sure. Gets an A for effort and of course quite the video though go check it out meg the stallion she is a three-time grammy winner she throws the first pitch for the houston astros wasn't a strike but meg the stallion it was, it was it was better than some first pitches hey she beat 50 cent by a mile and dr fauci as yeah. a matter of fact she, so she beat both of them meg the stallion chosen to throw the first pitch for the world champion houston astros when we come back we'll talk with the new head women's basketball coach at the university of south alabama yolisha jackson joining us next here on the final drive Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. It's March Madness, the last day of March, and it's been one of those tournaments from a men and women's side that everyone has really enjoyed watching the last couple of weeks. And it's been a busy last couple of weeks for our next guest, who is currently the new women's basketball coach at the University of South Alabama. As a matter of fact, one week ago today, Dr. Joel Erdman named her and tabbed her officially the 10th women's basketball coach in Jaguar history, Coach Yolisha Jackson makes her debut here on the final drive. Coach, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Coach, it's a, it's a privilege to be joined by you as, again, for the last few years, you've been down in South Florida the last three seasons as an assistant coach and recruiting coordinator and have really gotten the job done at South Florida as you guys have made the NCAA tournament all three years, have gone dancing and really had an opportunity to make a difference in that program. Can you hear me, Coach? Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, perfect, perfect. I was saying that you are in South Florida making a difference as the recruiting coordinator there as well as making three NCAA tournament appearances. Oh, yes. Like, um, the last two years of South Florida, it has been truly amazing. Um, you know, Coach Fernandez, Gosh, he started his 23 season this past season um, as the head coach there, and you know his, his he just built that program into a top 25, top 30 program, and just to being able to come in and enhance um, and, and add more value 
has been really, really special to me. And, you know, also along with the three NCAA tournament appearances and we won two regular seasons, one tournament. It, it, the last three years have certainly been a blast. Well, I tell you, you're returning back to Mobile, Alabama, and South Alabama is no strange place for you as you were an assistant women's coach here for Terry Fowler and had a lot of success, especially right before you left and took the assistant coaching job at South Florida. Talk about the excitement of being back in Mobile, Alabama and taking over this women's program. I, like... Corey, let me tell you, I am beyond excited. Um, I am honored. I love Mobile. I love the University of South Alabama. I'm actually an alum. So in 2016, I started um, my Master's of Sports Administration there and finished in 2018. So, you know, I have a lot of love and pride for the city, um, the, the program, and the institution. And just being able to have the opportunity to come back there and, and lead young women, um, you know, it's just, it, I'm just so grateful and so, so, so excited. So I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. Well, I tell you, you know, Kelsey Thompson is, is a young lady who was the Sunbelt Conference freshman of the year right here from our yes, own sir. backyard at Davidson High School. And she was a difference maker for South Alabama this year and showed her ability to score the rock. I think that one of the things, Coach, that as you are at the women's final four there in Dallas, I know recruiting and the transfer portal are two of the most important things for you at this point in time trying to be successful as an incoming head coach. It is. And, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do was make sure that uh, Kelsey was still on board and we recruit her. Um, you know, she, she, she prides herself in being from Mobile, Alabama, and prides herself in being able to put her city on the map through our women's basketball program. So, um, you know, I'm happy that, that she, she's going she's gonna to stay and, and, and go with it. I remember Kelsey when she was, oh, my gosh, so little running around there. Her grandmother, um, I think she still works on campus, so Kelsey was stopped by the office a lot. Um, but, yeah, like, super excited to have her. I think there's some other kids that, you know, that, that, that will, will be really, really good for us this year and the years coming. I think Ty Williams, she went out with injury. I think she's dynamic. Um, and I think, you know, having her at that point guard spot and then Kelsey on the wing is going gonna, is gonna to really help where Ty was hurt last year. Um, and you talked about the portal. You know, the portal is, is – is, it's a, it's a bear, right? But it could be very, very good. Um, and, and at South Florida, we were able to bring in three transfers this past season, and one of them is Sammy Gleesis, who was ranked as the number six impactful transfer in the country. Um, so, you know, I, I really like the team that's on campus now. Um, and at this moment, we've got 15 forward. I think we got 15 young women um, that are going to be able to get the job done and, and do it. So right now I'm not in the portal, um, you know, like a lot of schools are, um, you know, hunting and searching. But, you know, the main thing is our kids on campus, we got to take care of them first. Um, you know, we got to believe in them. Um, at the same time, you know, I've already talked to the team. You've got to invest for it. you got to, you, you know, there's a level of investment, a personal investment that you have to have in your craft. And so, you know, these first, these first few months, especially until we get to the fall, it's going to be about investment um, and, just, and just grinding and working. But I really like, I really love the team, the 15 young women that we have. 
um, and, and hoping to, you know, rally them together and, and just and just be able to put a beautiful product on the floor that um, the city of Mobile is going to enjoy coming to watch play. Yolisha Jackson, the new head women's basketball coach at South Alabama, joining us here on the final drive. Coach, your team in South Florida had an opportunity in the second round to play South Carolina. <laughs> and I know that you were responsible for that scout of South Carolina. And, of course, they're playing Iowa today or tonight in the Final Four. Talk to us about Don Staley. I know I had Joni Taylor on this week, and she felt that South Carolina will end the season undefeated and cut down the nets for a second consecutive season. But what problems are going to be presented to Iowa tonight by South Carolina? You know, this is the thing with South Carolina, right? Um, they got 15 of those dudes, those bodies, right? Like, they got 15 high elite quality players. Um, they are they're so big, they're so disciplined. Um, they never get rattled. Um, they've got a fantastic point guard that comes off the bench in Raven Johnson. Um, that I think she doesn't get enough credit, right? Um, she's, a, she's a redshirt freshman. She doesn't get enough credit. Um, but, you know, when you look at South Carolina, you know, oh, they can shoot it from the outside. You know, that's, that's the plan. You know, try to take away the inside. And that plan has tried to be executed time and time again, and it's failed for 30 whatever times, how many, you know, whatever their record is. Um, but you know what? I, I really like Iowa. Um, I think, you know, Iowa's going to have to make – you know, an incredible number of threes, um, which they shot the ball really, really well in their last game. I think Caitlin Clark has got to be super, super special against, you know, uh, a superb defense that's really going to defend the heck out of her. Um, I do think that South Carolina will win and will win the whole thing. Um, but it should be a fun one tonight, um, especially, you know, Caitlin Clark is just fun anyway, right? Um, it's fun to watch her play, but... South Carolina, man, they got 15 bodies and 15 guys that are just so elite. And I don't think enough credit is given to, to Coach Staley and how every game the kids are ready. And whatever challenges they see, you know, not being able to shoot, we're going to pack the paint, we're going to do this, they still win. <laughs> you know, they still win. And so I, I don't think she gets enough credit for uh, offensive strategy and game prep. Um, I think a lot of times we look at her roster and say she's just so much overly talented than everybody else, but she does a lot with game prep and, and preparation and getting her kids ready that we don't see that I think she needs more credit for. But, um, and also, I want to touch on this. Like, you know, Coach Staley, when she took over South Carolina, it was the bottom of the SEC. They had no fan support. And when we played there, um, going on two weeks ago, like, the environment that she has created is outstanding. Um, and I say that to say that it's like all women, our student athletes, they work so hard. They work so, so hard um, that I've got to make sure it's my job. I've got to be in the community. I've got to rally excitement so that we can start to fill up the niche a little bit. Now, I've got big dreams, and I know it's not going to look like South Carolina's crowd, you know, this year, next year, whatever, but we got to do a better job 
I've got to do a better job of getting out in the community, getting people to games, and making our, our young women feel loved and appreciated. Um, you know, when you play in front of people, it just it does something. It's amazing uh, for your, your confidence and your boost. And um, that's one thing I'm going to try really hard this year is to, is to get our fan base, um, increase our fan base, and, and get you guys in the stands. Well, I'll tell you this. Yolisha Jackson, the new women's basketball coach at South Alabama, if you build it, they will come, and that's just the biggest thing. You continue to win. Yeah, no question. You continue to get it done brick by brick, and you build that foundation and continue to show everybody that you're capable and what your vision is can become reality for all the South Alabama fans as fans will continue to flock to the Mitchell Center and we'll see the bottom bowl field and the top as well as you continue to thrive and do what you do as not only a magnificent coach, not only as a magnificent mother, but as a magnificent recruiter as well. I know you'll continue to assemble your staff, put your staff together, but South Alabama, the product that they're going to see in the next coming years is going to be a special one and look forward to continuing to see you grow as a coach and as your first year at the University of South Alabama. So, Corey, thank you so much. And um, you know what my biggest challenge right now? Go ahead, Coach. My biggest challenge right now is my daughter Zoe. She's talking, right? And getting her to say, go Jack. We're almost there. It's a little scrambled at the end, but that is my biggest challenge is for her to say, go Jags. And so I'm just, I'm excited to be back in Mobile. I'm excited to have my family there with me and, and um, go through this journey. And, you know, we're, we're going to work our butts off and, and have a lot of fun doing it. Look forward to your official press conference here in the weeks to come. And Yolisha Jackson, the 10th head coach in South Alabama women's history there in the final four and looking forward to continuing to see all the great things to come and all the recruiting that's going to be done and all the wins that are to come for coach Jackson and your program as well. Coach Jay's up. Jay's up. Good day. Thank you. Yolisha Jackson again coming from South Florida a program that competed in three straight NCAA tournaments was defeated in the second round by the South Carolina Lady Gamecocks and Don Staley, but she's going to do a phenomenal job as the new women's coach at South Alabama. And you're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. The last day of March Madness in regards to it being March 31st. Of course, the women's Final Four starts tonight, and we get started with the men's Final Four tomorrow san diego state and fau along with miami and yukon and you know when you start talking about matchups and those that are involved there's going to be a pretty good matchup for mobile alabama coming to town with the team focus 15th year team focus will hold its annual fundraising banquet and this year the keynote speaker will be john harbaugh and that is the same John Harbaugh who is currently the Baltimore Ravens. 
head football coach. And you have to give him his props, even though it was in 2012, he did win a Super Bowl. So there's not a lot of coaches who can say, yes, I was the head coach of a Super Bowl contender. But Coach Harbaugh has a lot of questions that are surrounding his franchise right now with Lamar Jackson. Will he come back? Won't he come back? But hopefully by the time that Coach Harbaugh comes to Mobile, Alabama and speaks at the 15th annual fundraising banquet for Team Focus, it'll be a situation to where he'll know whether his starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson's contract has been settled. Yeah, when is uh, when is the date of that? May 16th, Tuesday, mm. May 16th at the Mobile Convention Center. I should think that'll probably be figured out by then. Well, we know it'll be post-draft, and I know that many camps start to run in June, so you definitely want to go ahead and have that taken care of prior to that. But, you know, Coach Mike Godfrey's done a phenomenal job with his team-focused organization and everything it does for young men who have lost their fathers. So, that is a wonderful cause, and, and again, it's the faith-based, team-focused organization. And the 15th year that the team-focused organization will be having a guest speaker, and normally it is Nick Saban who comes down, but this year, John Harbaugh. But not every day you get an opportunity to hear from an NFL Super Bowl winning coach and current head coach of the Baltimore Ravens as well. Very cool. Very cool stuff. That nice little switch up from Saban. Hey, Saban can't say he won a Super Bowl. No, I mean, it's one of those things to where I know I'm excited about the event. And again, just a great cause with the team focus organization. Now, still speaking of football, South Alabama had their first spring scrimmage today. And a little interesting dynamic there. Early enrollee freshman Gio Lopez from North Alabama. He was taking second team snaps because Desmond Trotter was out with personal issues. And you start talking about with what South Alabama has returning offensively and defensively. And Kane Womack is going to be very excited. South Alabama having their first scrimmage hitting one another today. Next week, they'll have their second one, and, of course, they'll culminate the following week with their spring scrimmage as well. But LaDamian Webb, two touchdowns, and Braylon McReynolds, one touchdown today. It's picking up right where they left off, both of them. That's what you have to do if you're South Alabama to give yourself an opportunity to have a little bit better record. It would be undefeated to win the Sun Belt Conference, and that's exactly what – the expectations are going to be not only for Jag Nation, but for Kane Womack. It starts at the top, and he wants to go ahead and make people forget about the way that South Alabama had a lackluster performance in their bowl game in New Orleans, but remember them for the way that they played consistently good football throughout the entire season. Yeah, lackluster would probably be even an understatement for the way the bowl game went but obviously looking to build on a 10-win season moving forward and you know the program is trending in a positive direction spring scrimmages coming up for alabama auburn and south alabama here within the next couple of weeks that's why you want to keep it tuned in here to the final drive so we can keep you updated on how those practices and how the development of the players 
is going. Coming into our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner joining you on the last day of March Madness. And it truly has been absolute madness for this 2023 NCAA tournament. As, of course, in my finals, I was expecting to see in the final four, Alabama, Marquette, Gonzaga, and Houston. Well, of course, that that did not happen, and my bracket got shredded after that. And instead, we're going to watch San Diego State, FAU, UConn, and Miami. And that's probably one of the reasons, Michael, that, again, the prices of Final Four tickets have dropped tremendously, and the prices of the women's basketball tickets have skyrocketed, not just because of the size of the arena, but because of what the opponents in the matchups are, when you have ones and two seeds that advance in the NCAA tournament, whether it be men or women's basketball versus when you see a nine and a five and a four, the excitement just seems to not be the same, even from a viewership standpoint. And I understand that you have the same market of Miami and FAU in regards to viewership in the Florida area. So that state's very well represented in the final four. But as a whole, same thing when Duke and North Carolina, you're still going to have your tobacco road matchups be the same state, the same location, the same vicinity. But this year's overall viewership has dropped from a men's standpoint versus a women's standpoint. Yeah, I mean, with Miami, I think that it's probably pretty well represented across the country. I would think there's probably a pretty wide alumni base there. Probably not as much the case with FAU. I'm sure there are alumni all over the country, but certainly uh, to a lesser extent. I, you know, I don't know any FAU fans. I don't know if you do either, but yeah, I, I'm sure Boca's exploding right now uh, with interest in the Owls. You know, Owl City. So, well, I mean, but overall, Michael. I think that the the first two weeks of the tournament was simply phenomenal. And really, so far, the NCAA tournament has been phenomenal because regardless of Alabama winning or losing or Auburn yeah, we have winning a bit or of losing, there. I still think that it's still been a phenomenal tournament, tournament because you, you've seen 16 versus one upsets 
for only the second time in NCAA tournament history. And I mentioned the matchups. A lot of people liked the 12-5 matchups coming into the NCAA tournament, but 15s versus twos. And, and and those those are exciting to watch when you see a 16 beat a one. You want to see how far that 16 seed can go or why did that one seed decide to disappear and who's going to be the Cinderella. And this year, FAU is just taking the world by storm. San Diego State, they took on the big dog, the biggest of the dogs in Alabama, and really smacked them in the mouth and, and found a way to win the game. Yeah, I mean, they – Dominate them, dominated Alabama for with the exception of like a six minute window at the start of the second half. Pretty much the entire rest of the game was was San Diego State's game. Uh, Alabama came out down five to start the second half and uh, took a nine point lead at one point and it was what like a twenty one to seven run after that. It, just, it wasn't pretty after that. Had <laughs> to to put it nicely for Alabama and Nate Oates and. Obviously went back to Tuscaloosa with two timeouts in his back pocket. Didn't really mean to make this uh, an Alabama-San Diego State <laughs> thing here, but that's, that's Well, if that's the, the game that sticks out to you, then yeah. that's the game that sticks out to you because I know so many other people that were watching the NCAA tournament in March Madness, they were shocked that Houston loses to Miami yeah. in dominating fashion. And, and Miami showed that they can handle – what was ranked the number one team in the country a couple of times this season, they absolutely handled the Houston Cougars. Yeah, and Texas was kind of seen as a national championship contender for, for a lot of the season and really were they, up, what, 15, 12 on Miami for a lot of the night, and Miami found a way to, to come back and get it done, and Indiana was kind of seen as a team I don't know about a national championship contender, but a team that could make a run to the Final Four if, if everything came to fruition for him. Trace Jackson Davis is certainly one of the best players in the country, and when Indiana was playing their best, they certainly appeared capable of that. Uh, and Miami destroyed them in the second round. It, it was it was it was like a twenty five point beatdown. Miami beat them by, and you know Isaiah Wong is phenomenal. I I mean you, you'd be crazy to say Miami has no shot against UConn. It's like a five and a half point spread. Miami, again, coming off of three really un improbable wins in a row. I just, I, I don't know. It, it feels like UConn's time, no? I think you're right with UConn. Again, they are the best team remaining in the men's Final Four. But the magic that Coach Tang and K-State put us through and Noel making a household name with the number of assists that he had, that was a very special event to witness against Michigan State in that phenomenal game that went to overtime and it just wouldn't end and it was played in the Mecca in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that was probably arguably the game of the tournament. Uh, Michigan State, Kansas State and, and Noel, like you said, becomes a, a household name. He, what do you have, 19 assists in that game? It, it, it was pretty unbelievable and they're just ultimately not able to to get it done against FAU, which is a shame. I, I'd probably rather watch FAU tonight or tomorrow night uh, instead of uh, – I'd rather watch Kansas State instead of FAU, rather. But it is what it is there. We'll see We'll see if FAU can advance to the national championship. Well, if they can't, no matter how you look at it, if a nine seed is able to find a way into the national championship game, I think that that 
in and of itself w would be amazing. And a, a five seed with San Diego State, no no argument there. And when you look at, again, what the Miami Hurricanes and Jim Laranega has been able to accomplish, people forget about this team making it to the Elite Eight a year ago. And just if it wasn't for a second-half collapse, they would be making back-to-back Final Four appearances. And that that's something that I think credit to the Miami Hurricanes program and maybe a little bit of NIL money to help boost that roster to help them get over the top. But they had to earn it. Nothing was given to them in the ACC. Yeah, knocked out Auburn last year. Uh, Jim Laranaga took George Mason to the Final Four in 2006. So now back to uh, – he's taken now two I, – I mean, I don't want to call Miami unlikely, but two – Programs that haven't been to the Final Four to the Final Four. So quite the quite the resume there for Coach Laranega. Well, I, I think that when you look at the time frame in which he's been able to do it, that's what impresses me. But Norchad O'Meara, six foot seven sophomore from Nicaragua, and where he was a year ago was in the Sun Belt Conference. And easily the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year. And I know when I covered him with Pat Greenwood on ESPN Plus last year, the only way that South Alabama was able to hold him under his averages was to do exactly what they needed to do in every team's game plan is to get him in foul trouble and sit him on the bench. And that's exactly what the Jaguars were able to do. But here's a guy, when you saw him play a year ago, with the Red Wolves, you knew that he could play in the SEC or he could play in the ACC. It just so happened he wound up at Arkansas State before transferring to Miami. And when you see that transfer portal hit and you see the roster that he joins, you knew that Miami was going to be about their business. Miami Miami has one of the more efficient lineups in the country this year. Again, I, I, I don't know how they were – didn't dominate the ACC more than they did, to be quite frank. I mean, I guess they lost to, I believe, Duke in, in the ACC Conference champ or uh, semifinal game. So, uh, but certainly one of the better teams in the country at their peak this year, and and uh, we'll see if we'll see if they can give UConn a run for their money. Well, the great thing about March Madness is all it takes is for you not to play your best basketball one game, and a tale of two halves. You have to play 40 minutes of basketball in order to go ahead and survive and advance in the NCAA tournament. It's not going to take 39.59 on the clock. You're going to have to play a complete 40 minutes of basketball. And basketball is a game of runs, and that's what we've seen in this NCAA tournament. And that's what truly makes this event, this next two and a half, or this last two and a half weeks, the greatest two and a half weeks of sporting, of sporting events. And I know you have the Super Bowl just one day. The World Series can go seven games. The NBA Finals can go seven games. But for two and a half weeks, this, no, this is the this, greatest this is the sporting event to me that there that there is. It's it's not not even really a comparison, I, I don't think, when, when looking at the Super Bowl, NBA Finals, whatever whatever you want to throw out, I, I don't even I don't even think it's close. I mean, I think it'd be more fair to compare the NCAA tournament to, you know, the NFL playoffs as a whole rather than the Super Bowl just because, you know, it is the playoffs. But e e even so, if 
you're just a neutral fan and and don't have a dog in the fight, there there is nothing better than the NCAA tournament. Well, speaking of the NCAA tournament, and we talked about Tom Enzo working his magic. He spoke to ESPN today and, and made a pretty interesting statement about he thinks mental health is the big reason for transfer waivers and how the NCAA is not going to be able to stop players from continuing to go beyond the two-year or the two-time transfers that you talked about because the COVID year for a lot of these players, it's about to run out. Yeah, it kind of messed everything up, didn't it, in terms of uh, eligibility? It it changed things. But when you can say that you have physical and mental health problems to gain extra years of eligibility – what what who's going to call wolf on that who's going to say that you're that, that you're not telling the truth on that and that's what's interesting to me that how can you say that that's not true when somebody's claiming physical or mental health anguish as a reason why they want extra eligibility and Tom Izzo says he doesn't have a lot of faith in the NCAA in regards to that two-year eligibility situation. And I'm not quite sure if that's the case or not, to where he's absolutely right. Yeah, Izzo certainly has a point. He certainly went out on a big limb there, didn't he, by by bringing up uh, the mental health thing and and everything. But he he, he certainly does have a point. It it seems like the scope of what qualifies as uh, an eligibility waiver or or, or whatever, whatever terminology... That that has widened over the past couple of years, without a doubt. You're you're able to do pretty much whatever in in, in order to get that, uh, not have to sit out. But from what I've read, it seems like it's going to be a little bit tougher to not have to sit out right away. It's just, I mean, NCAA has to decide. You know, should we just open it up completely? Should we make it one time hard? It, it they're caught between doing. They they're they're caught between. Uh, the two sides here and it's kind of half and half it just it's it's a mess well i'll tell you when we come back on the other side of this break we'll talk about another statement that tom Izzo also made in regards to should the ncaa expand the field of course we have 68 with the four play-in and should it be beyond 68 if you keep expanding that, do you expand the college football playoffs? At what point in time is the cutoff number? And, and what's the magic number to limit someone from turning professional out of college basketball? Should they be able to be a one and done? Should they have to be able to come straight out of high school? We'll talk about those topics next here on the final drive. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we were talking about in the last break comments that Michigan State's head basketball coach Tom Izzo made in regards to not having a lot of faith in the NCAA in regards to how they're handling the transfer portal and whether players will continue to find a loophole and find an extra year of eligibility or be able to transfer past 
the second time if they can claim physical and mental health or physical or sexual assault to qualify for immediate eligibility. And I think that that's going to continue to be a blossoming topic and something that the NCAA is going to have to deal with moving forward. But expanding the NCAA tournament, 68 is where we are currently, and that's with the four play-in game for coming from Dayton. You have a team that will play on a Tuesday in Dayton and turn around and have to play on a Thursday and possibly travel across the country that Tuesday night, arrive in that destination early in the a.m. on Wednesday and get ready in a less than 24-hour turnaround to play a game. I love the fact that March Madness extends almost three weeks long, but if you expand it beyond 68, Michael, is it possible to get in a tournament of 90 teams? Uh, I can't express to you uh, how much I, I, I hate, 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 hate this idea. Uh, and, and I don't think it's actually going to happen, so I'm not going to sit here and get super fired up about it. But uh, the NCAA tournament is the most perfect sporting event in sports. It doesn't need to be messed with. It doesn't need to be changed. Like, the expansion of 90 teams, like, the, that radical of a change, it's not going to happen again. So if you're driving in your cars, no need to pull over and take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's not going to happen. But, man, I, I, I can't think of something. Like, all right, let me, let me take the most – perfect thing ever and figure out a way to I'm not going to say ruin it because it wouldn't ruin it but uh, it's just why, why would you mess with perfection there's no need to me 68 is fine you do have other tournaments like that it, you can it, participate it means in something to make the NCAA tournament right now it, it'll dilute it it's like 90 teams come on it would too dilute many. it completely. Too many. 68 is just fine. I'm fine with the four play-in game. I love I love yeah. the four teams that have the play-in game in Dayton. But if you start expanding it beyond that, then I think that you're you're asking for continuing to dilute. Yes, the NCAA is going to make a lot more money. And there'll be even more commercials, but 68 is where we should stand with the NCAA tournament. The four play-ins are outstanding games, outstanding ideas. We had a team a couple of years ago that went from playing a play-in game to making it to the Final Four. So with that being said, of course, that's a Cinderella ride in and of itself. But in no way, shape, form, or fashion do I want to see March Madness expand to beyond 68 teams because that's what the NIT is for. And UAB was good enough to be in the NCAA tournament. They just didn't win the games and the conference championship that they needed to win. And that's why you saw them make it to the finals of the NIT and lose to North Texas yesterday. 68-61, that final score. Yeah, it's not like UAB wasn't one of the 68 best teams in the country. They were. Uh, like they were better than some of the 16, 15, 14. They were probably as better than some of the 10 seeds, but it's the reality of the NCAA tournament. That's what makes it so special. You, uh, The fact that there's automatic bids given out to the conference tournament. I mean, look at Texas Southern, for example. They lost, what, 20 games this year and, and still made the NCAA tournament. It's what makes it special. Uh, you can't just expand it to 90 teams and – 
And well, everybody's going to be in at that point. It's just, man, that that you can't have it. You can't have that. There's no way that you can have it. I mean, FDU plays in that playing game against Texas Southern, and of course, we see what they were able to do against Purdue. So that number is is great. 68 is fine with me, and expanding it beyond that, I think again, that's why the National Invitational Tournament does exist and you're always going to have those bubble teams that could have would have made a case for being in and UAB was one of those situations and one of those with the most wins in school history but they couldn't win their conference tournament and because they couldn't look who did win their conference tournament FAU and look where FAU is now it's a great representation of the conference as to why you look at some schools getting seven schools in, eight schools in, when they only have the one conference championship, Alabama again. Nobody else, you didn't want to see if you were outside looking in for Alabama not to have won the SEC tournament because it was just going to be another spot that was taken by another team. But that's why you have the CBI and you can continue to play great basketball in the CBI. You can continue to play great basketball in the NIT. And again, March Madness is truly that. It's March Madness. And that's why I love the NCAA tournament, because you can be the smallest of the schools that no one has ever even heard of before and find a way to have national significance. And what it does is you can see the studies. It increases enrollment. You think mm -hmm. FAU, nothing wrong with living in Boca Raton. Nothing at all already. But I guarantee their enrollment is going to Absolutely. increase. You look at San Diego State, their enrollment will increase. It's a known fact to where Kansas State, their enrollment will increase. It puts visibility to your program at a whole nother level is what March Madness does. And when you're able to seize that platform, Princeton, an Ivy League school, I guarantee they see enrollment increase. It's just happened year after year after year when you have George Mason a few years ago with Laranega. People didn't know who George Mason was, where it was located. Do you know where Fairleigh Dickinson is located? I do only because I grew up about 30 minutes from it, but it's I'm not the best person to ask there. No, I mean, it's a northern school, of it's, course. It's New in Jersey. New Jersey, so right. that, that's the only reason I know that. But, yes, the, the common person in Mobile, Alabama, I would say, has no idea where Fairleigh Dickinson is located. And, and, and he, I probably wouldn't either if I were from Mobile, Alabama. It, it just shocking the world is what the NCAA tournament can continue to do. And I think it's good when you shake up college basketball – and you have new names in the Final Four. Now, they're going to run the same amount of commercials. CBS is going to get paid the same amount regardless of how high or how low their viewership is. You're still going to pay the same amount of money as a sponsor for March Madness. And whether you decide to turn it to WrestleMania or not this weekend <laughs> on a Saturday and a Sunday, a two-day event, it doesn't matter there. We'll find out. Again, after it's all said and done, who will be playing for a national championship on the men's side on Monday? We'll be talking about who's going to win it all. And right now, UConn is the betting favorite. Alabama was the betting favorite coming in, and they just couldn't get over that hump of the Sweet 16. But 
It won't be the first or the last time that you'll see Alabama be ranked number one in the country under Nate Oates. That's how much confidence a lot of Alabama fans do have. And we'll hopefully schedule to join us next. Antoine Petway, the assistant basketball coach at the University of Alabama, scheduled to join us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 1055 WNSP. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Michael Bronner and Corey LeBounty joining you on this last day of March Madness. And we talked about it before. Plenty of upsets for March Madness, and one of those were the Alabama Crimson Tide being defeated by San Diego State and Michael Bronner's efforting Antoine Petway as we speak, as I talked with him a little earlier today. And he is scheduled to join us during this segment, so we'll keep trying to get in touch with Coach Petway for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But a couple of his players... Bediaco and Quinterly both testing the NBA waters for Alabama. And we talked earlier, I, I think that Quinterly, he's not a first or second round type of guy. I think that he's easily a G League type player right now. And if he comes back for his sixth year, I, I don't know what he could continue to do to increase his stock and his value, and that may be the way that he's looking at it. He's just tired of playing college basketball, and he'll have an opportunity to to withdraw his name from the NBA. And, of course, this time last year, he was coming off a blown knee, a torn ACL, and we didn't know what kind of JQ we were going to get for Alabama, good JQ or bad JQ. But when he came down to Mobile, Alabama, and played – against the Jaguars. Yeah, it was the first game he played in, I believe. First game that he actually touched the floor, and that was huge for Nate Oates and even huge for Javon Quinterly coming off of a torn ACL, trying to get his lateral movement and his quickness back. So Betty Ako is one of those players that, as a seven-footer, just because you're seven foot does not mean that you belong in the NBA. I think that as he can continue to develop as a junior and a senior at Alabama, I think that he can be a potential lottery pick, but I just don't think it's this time this year for Betty Ako. Well, Betty Ako and Quinterly both, I think are interesting in that if you look at really the last, I don't know, third of the season, I think you could make the argument and when when Miller wasn't there, I mean these these, these are arguably the two best players on the team at at, at times. So uh, Bediaco especially, I, I think you can certainly make the argument for a large part of the second half of the season. Charles Bediaco was the best player on this team. He certainly was the best defender, uh, and and there were times where the offense revolved around him, especially if threes weren't falling. So uh, the, I mean, if he were to somehow not come back and, and and hear things from scouts that he likes in terms of his NBA status, it'd be a crushing blow for next year's Alabama team. I, I would be very, very concerned, but I, I just I don't think that'll be the case. Well, when you start looking as 
March Madness becomes March Sadness for a lot of these teams when they end their college career. A lot of careers are going to be started in Alabama's spring game, and that being some of the glimpses that we've seen on Twitter by Milrow throwing to Ja'Cory Brooks, an absolute dime throw to him. But can you take a small clippet like that? And it's hard as a media member to want to take that small clippet that is shown from Alabama's practice as Ja'Cory Brooks beat Kool-Aid McKinstry on a deep route to take that small clip and it shows that you completed a pass, but you could have had seven or eight incompletions prior to that. So that's the power of social media. It's easy as a media member to overreact to that. But I mean, who, uh, if you haven't seen the throw, I'll I'll send the link to, to what I wrote about it in the app right now, but it is, it is quite the dime for, I mean, it's only about a 15 yard touchdown all, all, all told, but it's Milrow to Brooks in the cor- in the back corner of the end zone. And, and uh, again, over Kool-Aid, who's arguably the best cornerback in college football, and just a perfectly placed drop in the bucket. Uh, it, it's interesting, based on early reports, it sounds like Milrow is working with the first team and Simpson is working with the second team, which isn't all that surprising given the fact that Milrow was kind of number two on the depth chart for for all of last season, and I know he did struggle when he played, struggled pretty badly. He was bad in the A&M game he started. Uh, He wasn't good throwing the ball against Arkansas after Bryce Young got hurt. So I I understand why a lot of people have kind of assumed that it's going to be Ty Simpson given his status as a recruit, honestly, myself included. Uh, That being said, this is a real legitimate quarterback battle, and if Milrow is improves tremendously as a passer which he certainly needs to do based on last season then he's going to be the quarterback at least at the start of the season for this team so we'll see what happens but it it is a fascinating situation well not only fascinating but I, I think as it unfolds it's going to be a true quarterback battle past the 8A game April 22nd I think it's going to be going deep into the summer and we may not know anything until the last week of August before Nick Saban decides to tip his cap and show exactly who is going to be the starting quarterback and take the bull by his horns is what Nick Saban loves to say in regards to leadership of this team. Yeah, I, if I were sitting here on, on March 31st making a guess, like I said, I, I, I think – Week one, I, right now, I think it is going to be Milrow, which I didn't think I was going to be saying like even three weeks ago. So I don't know. I'm not going to be shocked either way. Like you said, I mean, we're, we haven't even played the first scrimmage of the of the spring season yet. So so we'll see. There, there's a lot to be figured out. A-Day will be very telling. I think A-Day is more for the fans than it is for, for the coaches because essentially it is just a, a scrimmage. So, you know, Nick Saban will find out as much in this weekend's scrimmage as he will at A-Day. It just so happens to not be on TV. Uh, but I, Milrow certainly appears to have the early edge. Well, I, I don't know who has an edge. I just think that we've seen more of Milrow than we have of Ty Simpson because Milrow actually had a start and we've seen. Oh, well, we've seen wasn't good. I, I don't. Did, did he lose? 
No, he didn't lose, but they but it beat Texas A&M by four with a freshman quarterback for A&M at home. I mean, he was te- Milrow was terrible against A&M. He turned the ball over three times in the first half. He was, Bryce Young he, was never terrible. I'm not saying. I know well, I'm asking. You can't I, I, have honestly, a terrible no. game. Honestly, no, no. He, he Bryce never Young, played a terrible. Bryce game. Bryce Young never played a terrible game. No, he did not. Bryce Young never played a terrible point, game in the Alabama Crimson Tide uniform. Point out to me the terrible game. I ask you to. Well, well, that's what they make Google for, right there, Michael. <laughs> I go, I, I seriously like, there, there is no, there is no terrible game for Bryce Young in an Alabama uniform. Um, and, and again, if if Milrow were to develop and become a lot better in in the area of accuracy and, and composure, he just he he didn't look ready to go out there. He frankly in the A and M game, he he looked a little bit nervous and and anxious, which is understandable. Uh, but no, I mean he he was bad in the A and M game, and it, it nearly cost Alabama the game. And ultimately, they didn't win, they didn't, weren't contending for a national championship regardless. So I can't say almost cost them their season, but would have ended their season prematurely for sure. Uh, and, and but no, to answer your question, Bryce Young certainly never looked bad in a Crimson Tide uniform. At least not to not anywhere near what Jalen Milrow looked last season against the A and M. If Milrow was on the level of Bryce Young, of course he would have been the starting quarterback. Now, is there a drop-off between a one and a two? Absolutely there's a drop-off between one and two. But well, what mean, you're I, asking I, him to do... Well, no one's arguing that he should be as good as Bryce. Like, everyone knows there's going to be a drop-off in quarterback play from what the what it's been the past two years. I mean, that's inevitable. I think Bryce... We've had this discussion. I think Bryce Young is the greatest quarterback to ever put on an Alabama uniform. So whether it's Milrow, whether it's Simpson, yeah, it's not going to be Bryce Young stepping out there. That's just the reality of the situation. The The question now becomes, it's not it's not a battle between Bryce Young and Jalen Milrow and Ty, Ty Simpson. It's a battle between Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson and, and who's going to be the better quarterback to lead this team now. And right now, as we sit here in the spring, it, it sounds like Jalen Milrow has the edge. I, I I don't again. I'm not watching these practices, so I don't know how Ty Simpson has looked. Uh, we'll we'll see. But Jalen Milrow certainly was not good in, in in the time that he played, in 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 what we saw out of him as a starting quarterback last season. He that just is the reality of the situation. Again, he has a, a long way to go as a passer, and. That that just is what it is, uh, and it it is what it is. Well, I, I think the improvement can come as a passer, and I think that that's what's important for the improvement as a passer for Miro. And I think that when you can have that improvement as, as a passer, that's what it's all about. And we're was able to get in touch with Coach Petway during our discussion about Alabama football, and he will be joining us on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jake Tucker, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSP. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, the home of the Alabama Crimson Tide to where you can listen to Brian Pasick and Chris Stewart's calls of the great games that were played by the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide all season long. And it's a privilege to be joined by the assistant coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Antoine Petway. Coach Petway, good evening. And how are you doing? 
I mean, I'm doing great, man. Glad to have to be on with you guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Coach, it, it was a historic season for the University of Alabama, and you've been a part of an Elite Eight run, and now you've been a part of a number one ranked overall team entering the March Madness competition. And I know that that's just an awesome feeling being a graduate of Alabama, wearing those red shoes to seeing the Crimson Tide be a number one overall seed this season. Yes, no, it, it was a tremendous uh, feeling uh, this whole season. Uh, you know, being a former player here and, uh, you know, graduating from Alabama, you know, this, this program means everything to me, man. To see what we've done, been able to do the last three years with this program, man, it's been super exciting to be a part of. Coach Ozzy's doing a tremendous job, man. But he does he does a tremendous job because he, he attacks it every single day. I mean, the dude works hard every single day, every single drill. He wants every person in the program, every player in the person, program to just get better every single day, man. And he leads by example. So I'm, t I'm telling you guys, there's more, more greatness to come out of this program with Coach Oates. And Coach, I, I really do believe that there's more greatness to come. Of course, it never ended the way that we all wanted it to end because we all wanted to see Alabama cut down those nets. But to be able to cut down the nets as regular season SEC champions and then do it again as tournament champions, how special is that? And I know that's something that is historic when it comes to building a strong foundation year after year for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Of course, Corey. Uh, two out of the last three years we were able to accomplish that, uh, winning the regular season and winning the tournament in a very, very tough conference. Uh, SEC, I mean, you know, it's no nights off. Every night you play against a team that can beat you. But like I said, man, it, it was a tremendous feeling, feeling that confetti come down on you. It never gets old. In Nashville, like, having it come down, we love the tournament being in Nashville because we having a bunch of success, <laughs> so we wanted to keep it going. But the guys, the way they just came together, how connected these, this group of guys were, this year, man, it was really, it was really special to be a part of. Every game, they, you, you would see different guys step up at different times, and guys that you know who night it, it may have not been there night this particular night, they were still engaged, still cheering on. They, this team wanted to see each other succeed and do well, and I think that was a major reason we were we were able to have such success this year. We're speaking with Antoine Petway, assistant men's coach for the University of Alabama. And, you know, it, it's truly been March Madness, and that's what it's all about. You never know how games are going to figure themselves out. And, of course, San Diego State is now playing in the Final Four, and it's going to be a great matchup with FAU. And UConn and Miami is going to be the same way, Coach. But I will go back and – now that you've been at Alabama now for over close to 20 years, when you come in and you walk on at Alabama and now have an opportunity to say, okay, 23 years later, Brandon Miller comes in this season and is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pretty much one-and-done player in the history of Alabama. Talk about his growth as a player from the time he came on the campus until he finished his last game. Well, I'll start off by first saying he's a even better person than he is a basketball player. And I like I like this dude has tremendous character. Like Brandon Miller is a great, great human being first and foremost. But um, he's an everyday dude on the basketball court. He's an everyday dude. When I when I say that, I mean like he comes to practice every single day to get better, to work hard. He take he, he doesn't take days off. He doesn't take drills off. He's an everyday dude. And I think because he's an everyday dude, you see growth in his game 
from the day he stepped on campus until he left. Like he's he's a he's a guy that you know when we first got him in the summertime. His numbers at the rim weren't great at finishing. As the year went on, it just got better and better. He's a guy that constantly worked on his ball handling, worked on being in the gym, taking the right shots, aim shots. And I mean, when the game came, I'm telling you, Corey, it was, it was like it was easier for him than practice was. And that's why you've seen him play with so much confidence. You've seen him, have, you know, have so much success in, in game because he worked and prepared himself all week to have success. So when I think of Brandon Miller, man, you know, I, I, I think of a great player, but I also think of an everyday dude. And I think in order to be truly special and be truly great, your best player has to be coachable and has to be an everyday dude. And that's why we had success because Brandon Miller was both of those things. Well, I tell you, you know, you as a former walk-on player yourself, you've just worked your way up the coaching ranks. And, again, Alabama fans will remember you for your red shoes and hitting that shot against Florida. I I think that when you continue to see the growth and the success of Alabama basketball, the next step, I know Coach Oates has generated a lot of excitement about building a a brand-new arena on campus outside of Coleman Coliseum. Great memories inside of Coleman Coliseum, but with the continued success of the basketball program, I know the next step is that new arena. Oh yeah, it is coming. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the the people here have made a you know they they made a you know an effort to make basketball you know what I mean a national brand here at Alabama, and I, I think they're gonna continue to do that, man. They make an effort every single day, and they're gonna continue to make efforts, man, to make this program be one of the top. You know, whichever arena, you know, we're in, we want the fans in the stands, you know what I mean? Like this season, we had a tremendous amount of support from our fans, and our guys fed off it. So, I, I would, you know, whether we in Coleman or whether we in the new arena, I think I just want to say we appreciate the fan support, man, and those people coming out supporting us on, you know, weeknight games, Saturday, early Saturday games. I mean, Coleman Coliseum was rocking this year, man. So I, we can continue to get the support from our fans. Wherever we plan is going to be a great event for, for, for the time. Antoine Petway, assistant men's basketball coach at the University of Alabama, joining us here on the final drive. Coach, have you for about two more minutes here this Friday afternoon. And, Coach, just the growth of Alabama basketball, I know you've seen within the last 20 years that since you've been playing there. And I know that the capstone, we talked about how much it means to you personally. But with you going through the coaching changes that you've been through, I know that Alabama basketball reaching the pinnacle right here. It's not going to be how you start. It's going to be how you finish, and there's more greatness to come, like you mentioned. And it's going to start with something you love to do and are great at, which is recruiting. Yeah, yeah, no question, Corey. Man, uh, this three-year run is probably as good of a run we've had in the program history, you know, at least in my time here. I know for sure, man. Like I said, four SEC championships, two in the regular season, two in the uh, – in the tournament again, two Sweet 16s, and it's only going to get better. Um, another thing, like I said, Coach works hard every single day, man. He, he attacks getting better every single day, and that's the same in recruiting. This is a dude that, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to target guys that have the character, the work ethic, and the talent that we're looking for, you know, to take our program to the next level, and we're going to continue to go get those guys. Um, you know, when guys come in and have success, and they're able to go pro, and that only helps for recruiting the next couple of years. So we encourage it. You come in and you work your tail off. We ask guys to get in the gym a bunch, 
and we said, you know, if you get in the gym and follow and just put your head down and work, we're going to let you show what you work on in the games. And Coach gives these dudes a tremendous amount of freedom. Our style of play is different from that of, you know, other programs. So guys, you know, come in and they, you know, they play fast and they play with freedom that they may not get other places. So I think that's an attractive style of play for elite recruits to come to. And I think we're going to still continue to have success bringing those guys to the cap zone. Antoine Petway, can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon here joining us and making your debut on the final drive here on the home of the Crimson Tide, WNSP, and I look forward to talking to you soon. All right, thanks, Corey, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Anytime you need me, just give me a shout. Will do. Antoine Petway, assistant men's basketball coach of the University of Alabama, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And on the other side of the final drive, we'll have Rush Propes who is taking a new high school football job here in the state of Alabama. He'll tell us and give us the ins and outs of his new job next here on The Final Drive. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And our next guest, he's going to get a special introduction, really needs no introduction to those who love high school football, not only here in the state of Alabama, but across the country. The one and only Rush Propes was officially hired today as the new head football coach at Pell City. And Coach Propes, Good evening and welcome to the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on today, guys. I, I really mean that. It's uh, Mobile's special place to me, and I'm glad to be on with y'all this afternoon. Coach, I tell you, we're we're welcoming you back to the state of Alabama as a head football coach, and we know that you didn't get an opportunity to coach in the Acusa Christian in the Gadsden area, and now officially being tabbed the head coach at Pell City, I know there has to be a lot of excitement running through your veins knowing that spring practice is upon us. You get a chance to to meet with your players probably next week or what have not. They're probably on spring break as well. But officially things have been navigated out to where you will take over as the new head football coach at Pell City. Yeah, we got spring break starts this afternoon after school is out. So I got a chance to meet the existing staff 
I get to meet some of the players. Um, you know, they have prom tonight, so some of them checked out. You know, all that stuff goes. So, um, but it, you know, I, I did get to meet uh, the majority of the staff and uh, had a had a staff meeting and got to tour the facilities and you know around Pell City and and uh, of course, you know, I coached at Asheville was where I first started in 1989 in Secretary County, right up the road. So I'm very familiar, and it's close. Uh, my wife's actually from Pell City, so I know a lot about Pell City and, and had a great day today. And we'll get started on April 10th and probably start spring practice somewhere around May the 8th because of our baseball and our track. And uh, we'll be able to get all our athletes somewhere around May the 8th, I think. One of the great things, Coach, is as football continues to, to start up here, you know, when you bump down the days, if you decide to go ahead and, and not have anything but an inter-squad game, I think it'll be an opportunity, even if you don't have an inter-squad game, you'll have a chance to really assemble your staff and, and to get a familiarity about Pell City and the way that you want things to be run under your regime. Of course, having the opportunity to have five state championships here in the state of Alabama, two in the state of Georgia, and one national championship overall, you know exactly what you want the blueprint of success to be for your program. Well, everywhere I've started, you know, I've, we've struggled out of the gate a little bit, so Year one is always tough. Um, the only place I've been to was Valdosta that we, you know, went to semifinal in the first year. But that program had already been a little bit established. And uh, But, you know, normally your first year is a tough. We're getting a late start. We missed all the off-season program for the most part. So spring practice basically is just going to be regulated to evaluating staff, present staff, and you know, I don't think I'll be able to get in any new coaches before spring ball. Uh, you know, so I'm going to give these guys a shot to show me what they can do in the spring. And then, you know, really spring, you know, with 10 days, I'm not going to play anybody. We'll end up with a, with a scrimmage offense versus defense at the end of spring. But really, really, you're just trying to see who can block and tackle. And, uh you know, who can uh, maybe who can throw a forward pass for the most part in the quarterback <laughs> position. So, you know, we'll be looking for a quarterback. There's no doubt of that, about that. And uh, I think the young man that's scheduled to play that uh, is also a really good wide receiver. So, hopefully, if we can find another quarterback, this young man may want to go back. But I think he could be a, you know, a good player, a, a college player at wideouts because he's athletic. And then. You know, so you just that's what you're doing. You're just evaluating staff, you're evaluating players before you get into your summer work. We're speaking with Rush Probes, the new head football coach of Pell City and Coach Pell City coming off a one and nine overall season. But when you look at the region that Pell City plays in, Clay Chalkville, eight and two last year, Center Point, nine and two, Pinson Valley, six and four, Oxford had a down season at five and six, and Shades Valley at five and four, also in the region with Huffman. That's a very tough region to jump right into in 6A, but I know that's part of what you embrace and what gets you up every day going is in regards to the competition level. 
Smith, very tough, you know. I mean, you know, Steve Mass was here last year. He's a really good football coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Um, you know, and I'm sure Steve would say the same thing. This place is really down. It's really down. I don't think they've been to the playoffs in five years. They haven't won a playoff game since uh, 2012 when David Shores was here. So they've, you know, for 12, 11, 12 years, they've had no success. I think Keith Edwards was here. He was the head coach at Auburn. He won a state title at Oxford. He was at T.R. Miller. He was at Leeds. I think he's a really, really good football coach. Uh, I think they went 6-5 and five in the second year here. So, uh, um, you know, I, so it's it's a uh, it's it's down, man. It's 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 way down. It's it's to the point to where, you know, we have to take it one day at a time. We have to evaluate ourselves every day. I wear a little thing around my wrist. Is when the day. I think we might have lost Coach Probst there. Coach Probst, can you still hear me? What we'll do is we'll we'll try to get Coach Probst back on the line. We'll we'll reconnect, Michael. If you could call him back and let him know that we just had a bad connection there, as he is in Pell City, but Pell City claiming one state championship, and that being air quoted as mythical in 1951, and having an opportunity to see region titles that have slipped away from them they've won eight region titles and that last one like coach was talking about came back in 2003 and that's just a hard way that I think coach mask would probably agree with you that when you're trying to to fight and find a way to get over that hump that's exactly what I know that coach Propes will be able to do and coach Propes are you back with us um. Yes, I'm back, guys. I must have went through a bad area, I guess. I'm coming through the mountains between Pell City, Asheville, and Gadsden, so <laughs> that's uh, that's probably what happened. But anyway, I don't know what the last thing you heard me say. Uh, refresh me on that. Well, Coach, we were just talking about how there has not been a lot of success, and for whatever reason, that, that Pell City is going to be a place that's hungry for a winning attitude. Again, coming up this last season, finishing up 1-9, and nine, you were talking about Hall of Famer Steve Mask and the struggles that he encountered there. And, I mean, you're not a Hall of Fame coach for no reason, and 1-9 and nine doesn't sit right with anybody. Win, lose, or draw, you know, people say it's, a, it's not about wins and losses. That's true, but at the same point in time, it is about wins because your community yeah. demands that. And, and you're not saying you want to coach a losing team, but everybody wants to put in the price to win. And I think that with you being there and having an opportunity to evaluate things, it's going to be beneficial for you and, and the entire Pell City community. Well, I mean, that's the reason I have a that young scoreboard. I mean, you know, they keep score, so they want you to win. And, I mean, and winning is – uh, one of the most important things that you do. I mean, you, you, you've got to win. And I know, like I was talking, I may have lost, but, you know, Keith Edwards was here. He was a heck of a football coach. And, you know, I think they went to the playoffs, got beat in the first round. The last success they had here was David Shores back in 2012. They won one playoff game. And so that was in 2012. Before that, they'd been first round, first round, 
you know, the last time they've been successful run was in the 80s. Late 80s, they were in the semifinals. I think they were a quarterfinal in there. So this thing's been broke for a long time, and there's been a lot of good football coaches come through here. But we got to win today. We got to we got to make kids believe. Uh, we got to get kids out. We got to make this. We got to give it a complete facelift. I mean, this this is a broken program. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but you know, I had a lot of people tell me when I took the Alma Bryant job that you couldn't win there. I had Hall of Fame coaches in this state right now that, that, made, that made that statement that you couldn't win in Baylor Bachelor either, and we did. Uh, you know, it's going to take time. I don't expect coming out of the gate that we'll be any, you know, competitive in year one. It's going to take, because I'm getting there late, it's going to take some time to get people excited about Pell City football. It just is. Well, I, I think that if anybody could get the entire community and really the state excited and have all eyes on Pell City. I know it's you, Coach Probes. And the great thing about when I look at you is, is, is the fact that you just continue to find a way, no matter whether it's in the state of Alabama or Georgia, just to continue to, to keep programs at the top. And, you know, if you had to find a recipe or if you were given a younger coach the recipe for success. I mean, it's easy to say hard work and iron sharpens iron. Would it be hiring a great staff? Would it be just having your own blueprint of how you see and envision things and having those with you and around you that are have the same vision that you do? You know, I think each place is unique. Every place I've gone, every place I've gone has been down. People don't remember when Hoover was three and seven, four and six, three and seven. Uh, when I took over there in '99, of course we talked about Dama Bryant. Talkwood County had been several years—I mean, seven or eight years—without winning. So, uh, like I said, Valdez is the only place I've been to that you know was winning. Um, so, from Asheville to Eufaula, uh, even back in the '80s and the '90s, I mean. It starts with your staff. That, that's number one, your staff. You have to hire good people. It's not about rush folks. That doesn't, that don't end all with hiring rush folks. And so rush folks have not been able to have any success without really good football coaches. The Todd Watsons, the Bill Clarks, the Jeremy Pruitts, and, and uh, the Don Grosses, and uh, you know, both the Travis Pearsons of the world, the Jerry Morales of the world. I mean, these guys were uh, Joey Bennett's, the Matt, the Matt Moore, the David Faulkner, who's at Millville, too, and Eric Collier. Uh, you know, familiar names, but those guys were great assistant football coaches, mate. So you hire good people and you let them coach and, uh, and you manage people. So. You know, I've called plays and won state titles. I've let other people call plays and win state titles. I think that each place is unique. I'm not going to win eventually at Pell City like we won at Parkwood County or like we won at Asheville or like we won at Hoover. Each place is completely different, and you have to adapt to the place that you are, and then you have to find uniqueness in how that place wins. So, you, you know, I'm a trendsetter. 
I believe in setting trends, and we're going to find something at Bell City that we can hang our hat on to, to help us become successful, and that may take some time. But don't mistake, don't, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work now. Uh, uh, there's, there's no more secrets out there. Uh, you got to hire good people. you got to work, outwork people. And if you can't outwork people, you better work as hard as they do. And if you find a little bit of edge here, a little bit of edge here, you, you may start uh, figuring out ways to win. But, again, you still got to have players. And I think that's the problem with Pell City right now. They just don't have, you know, they've just not had a lot of talented players to play football at Pell City, you know, or even if they have, they haven't had enough of them. So, guess what? Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner. And we want to thank Rush Probst for joining our show this evening, talking about his new job at Pell City. And, again, want to wish him the best. And, again, he's just a name that's synonymous with high school football when you start talking about his success in multiple states, five state championships at Hoover another two plus a national championship in Georgia. Yeah, I, I think that when you start looking at his overall resume, definitely a Hall of Fame coach. And I think that Pell City knows exactly what they're getting with Rush Propes and the patience that he's asking for and that he's demanding. I think that he will get and it, it's not an easy region at all that he's playing in and I think that it's going to take at least two years to turn around that program. And sometimes you can have those one-year wonders in college or in high school, but I, I just don't think the Pell City is going to be that place in year number one to where they can turn around and make the playoffs in 6A. I, I just don't I don't see that happening. But who? what I do see happening is the South Alabama Jaguars in their first spring scrimmage today where they went live at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. The defense seems to always be ahead of the offense. And Kane Womack, he mentioned a couple of weeks ago on our show as they were getting ready to open spring practice about the number of returning players that were coming back for the Jaguars. And one of the ones that are coming back that had to sit out last year is Keith Gallman. And Keith wound up having, I think, a torn pectoral muscle last year. And he's just one of the leaders on the defensive side of the football. And I think that that's going to help the Jaguars tremendously when you look at him being able to come back from a torn pec muscle being suffered a year ago in fall camp. Yeah, I mean, the defense certainly is always ahead of the offense um, with, with Probst. Uh, you know, we saw it at MGM this year, and in, in you you can see a quick turnaround. It's not unheard of. So Pell City went what one and nine last year, uh, something like that. And so it's not. I I hope they know what they're getting. Uh, it's you know he 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 can coach football, so so we'll see what happens there. Uh, he certainly is a bit of a character, and but hey, the guy the guy wins football games, so we'll see what happens. Um. He, like I, I should hope they'll give him a little bit of patience and and 
you know, to expect him to come in and turn around a one and nine program is, I mean, it's unrealistic, obviously. But like I said, I look at MGM this year. We 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 have seen that kind of thing happen before, and Zach Golson certainly turned around that Vikings program here. It's it's not like it's this impossible thing to do. I think uh, Probe said it too when he was at what got to what was it Valdosta in Georgia. He kind of turned things around right away there, but. You know, in 6A, he's going to be playing against the Clea Chalkfields of the world. It's not going to be the easiest thing to do there. So we certainly will uh, will keep an eye on it and, and watch uh, with with great interest. I, I know I will have great interest in watching what he's able to do. But you mentioned this morning with the opening kickoff being on the campus of Mary G. Montgomery and Coach Golson and what he's been able to accomplish. People forget that the Vikings started the season 0-4. Yeah. So that that losing... Weren't they 0-10 last season, it, it, if I'm not That's mistaken? right. I mean, they were on like a 22-game losing streak that started with the beginning of the 0-4 season this year and just found a way to make it to the first round of the playoffs. And really get everyone excited they, again. They ran into Central Phoenix City, didn't well, they? That's, well, that's a not, buzzsaw not in and much, of Not much you can ask for there. No, that, that's a buzzsaw in and of itself. But with, with South Alabama's program, I think that Carter Bradley returning at quarterback is huge for the Jaguars. And, and I know you, you're going to miss a Jalen Wayne, but when you do have a healthy LaDamian Webb, who did rush for two touchdowns in today's scrimmage along with Braylon McReynolds, who did a phenomenal job as a freshman this past season coming from McGill Tulin for Kane Womack. Just one of those players that Coach Womack talked about how, how they're going to get better with local talent on the roster, and this was immediate contributor. And I, I think that early enrollee Gio Lopez coming down and taking the second team snaps ahead of Desmond Trotter, who was out with, with personal issues today, is is huge for Gio Lopez and his confidence and his growing ability to, to maintain and command this South Alabama offense because Gio Lopez, he's an early enrollee. He's supposed to still be in North Alabama enjoying his senior season, but is now taking snaps as the number two quarterback today in South Alabama's first spring scrimmage. And I think that that's huge, but as a whole, I think that what you want to see is continuity and development for Coach Womack, and I know next week they'll have their second scrimmage, and the following week, again, they'll conclude it with a practice being open to the public at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. Yeah, I mean, Gio Lopez is going to be a good player. Uh, we'll we'll see, certainly, what the ceiling is there, but, I mean, you to get – early enrolled and and be taking QB2 snaps like you said as someone who should still be in high school is uh is is huge right off the bat and, and so we'll we'll see ultimate I mean it, it's nice coming in knowing that you know Carter Bradley has I I think we could say the starting job locked up barring something crazy uh so it, it's nice you know you don't have you if you're Lopez you don't think you're battling for a starting job it, it uh you're probably battling for the two spot with trotter so you know there's not so much pressure there you can kind of come in and just focus on getting better and learning how to learning the playbook one and, and but two you know learning how to play college football because again like you said this is a 18 year old kid who 
if he were a normal 18-year-old kid, he'd be getting ready to graduate from uh, Madison High School up there in uh, in North Alabama. So the fact that he's down here, yeah, taking ta- or James Clemens High School rather in Madison, uh, and the fact that he's down here taking snaps and uh, trot- so Trotter is out with personal reasons. We're not. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Hope for the best for him, but. Uh, you know, Lopez certainly can can use that to his advantage and, and figure out how to become a better football player. Well, you just mentioned the, the age of 18 or 19. And we know in college football, you have to stay stick around for three years. And in the NBA, I think that as far as part of their collective bargaining agreement, what they're trying to figure out right now, and it's falling through the cracks on the table about being able to be a one and done. And as of right now, it doesn't seem like the NBA is going to allow high school players to leave high school and go straight to the NBA. They're still having that age limit on the on the 19 instead of 18 and having to have a year of either G League experience or sitting out. I think that's huge when you start looking at should the NBA go ahead and relieve or lift their one and done policy to where you can go ahead and come directly out of high school and participate as a professional it's a hard question i mean obviously we've seen it work out for some guys in years past you know look at the lebrons and and kobe's of the world but that's just like yeah i mean that's such a small percentage and it's like i don't think you can do it on a case-by-case basis I, i i think that's probably really unfair and I just think if you open that can of worms, you're you're going to have so many high school kids that are not ready for the NBA in any way, shape, or form, but declare anyway. And, and I think ultimately, I think the the opening up the G League path is a good compromise there. The fact that you are able, all right, like if you want to choose to come to the G League and and start making money, and NIL has uh, has changed that a little it's bit. It's curtailed too. it for yes, sure so to to make because you know if NIL hadn't been a thing. Think you'd see, you know, maybe the top ten picks in in this year's draft all all coming from the G League, but that's not the case because these got, you know, Brandon Miller probably, you know, if I'm just guessing, Brandon Miller probably made half a million dollars this year just from being Brandon Miller, and, and so, you know, I I think that kind of gives you two legitimate options, both of which make you a good bit of money as an 18 year old if you are that elite prospect. So I, I no, I I don't think that anything needs to be changed in the way that you should be able as an, as a kid coming out of high school to go right into the draft, even though we've seen it work out for some guys. I, I just think the downside outweighs the upside. Uh, it is a small percentage of guys. When you start talking about Kevin Garnett and Tracy McGrady and LeBron James, but, or even Dwight Howard for that matter. But as a whole, I don't think that you should be punished because we've seen some guys that have gone through three years of college and not be ready for the NFL and not be able to handle all the pressure at 21 or 22 years old. So, yes, physically and mentally, it does make a difference between the age of 18 and the age of 22. It's certain, I mean, think about yourself when you were an 18. Like, I, I, I'm 22 now. I, I know I'm a lot more at least mentally mature than I was as an 18-year-old. I, I, it absolutely – it doesn't sound like a lot, but it absolutely makes a difference But if there. you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. No, if, I mean, and you should be able to make that choice to say whether you're ready. Whether that's a good decision or not, that's when you rely on good counsel because those who do make those bad decisions, 
And that's why I'm glad that the NBA is allowing Javon Quinterly and, and Betty Ako to test the waters to and withdraw their name after they get further evaluation and how NIL has changed the game in regards to having an agent. Because Betty Ako from Alabama, he does have an agent right now who's advising him. And maybe, NIL has changed that. I mean, maybe if there's some kind of system in play like like that for these high school kids, then maybe I'd be in support. It's just I, I just think it's a a very dangerous can of worms to open to say because again, a lot of these eighteen year olds, a lot. The reality is, a lot of them think they're better than they are, and, and that just and I and I hate to put it that way, but that's just how it is. I, and again, we've talked about this a lot. Like at a certain point, you need to have that mentality to to make it at that professional level. Like you know, every player in the NBA probably thinks they're the best player in the NBA as they should. But at the same time, it's like the, when you have an 18-year-old kid that thinks he's the best player in the world, it's like that, that, that's setting him up in some cases, not all, because some of them will be ready, but it, it, it's just a dangerous thing, I think. If you're willing to pay them, though, as owners, yeah, that, that's the thing that's not dangerous because if you're willing to be all in and give a kid 25 or $30 million right out of high school, you're not telling them what to do with their money. Yes, you are telling them who they can hang out with in regards to you don't want a John Morant situation occurring. But I, I think that you should not be punished as an athlete when you're ready because you see professional tennis players that are 16, 17, 18 years old and are getting paid a lot of money to be on that professional tennis circuit. There's no difference there to me because if you're a professional athlete, doesn't matter if it's in tennis, golf, basketball, or football. You're still going to get paid for being a superior athlete. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. SP 105.5. Want to thank Alicia Jackson, the new head women's basketball coach at the University of South Alabama, for joining us on the final drive, along with Antoine Petway, assistant men's basketball coach at Alabama, and of course, Rush Propes, the new head football coach at Pell City. And we have final four action tonight. LSU taking on Virginia Tech here momentarily in Iowa, taking on South Carolina and Caitlin Clark versus Aaliyah Boston. Looking forward to that matchup. Can South Carolina finish at 38-0 if they win the national championship? They will be back-to-back. And, of course, WrestleMania, folks, this weekend. Michael Brauner says wrestling is 100% fake ah, and putting scripted. putting words in my mouth a little bit there, but. I, I, I like wrestling. I'm looking forward to seeing WrestleMania, of course, a two-day event. I can appreciate it for what it is. Not my thing. Uh, but it is, you know, it's it's all well and good. It's hey, just announced not my today, thing. it's coming to Mobile. I do believe in June, uh-huh. so we'll get some more wrestling here in June. But no, a two fight card Saturday for WrestleMania Saturday and Sunday that's available on Peacock. Looking forward two to catching. Card. Nice. Uh, you can't you can't beat that. Two days of WrestleMania. WrestleMania 39 at SoFi Stadium. As a matter of fact, and this weekend, Marana, you're going with UConn to make it to the national championship game? I think so. I, and 
I, I'll say I'm less confident on it now as as we've gotten closer. I, I do think Miami has a shot, at least to keep it close. I, I, I don't think UConn is going to blow them out. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I think Miami keeps it close. I think UConn ultimately gets it done, and I like FAU over San Diego State. I do like FAU. Well, I tell you, a nine seed making it to the national championship game is – historic in and of itself because it's so hard to to get to the tournament much less go ahead and make it to the final four in the national championship game i'm going with don staley winning it all again cutting down the nets and i'm going to go with uconn as well and we'll be talking about the national championship men's game on monday along with who has won the women's national championship great opening day for major league baseball games are shorter now Meg the Stallion, three-time Grammy Award winner, throws out the first pitch for the Houston Astros. Almost blew up the internet by doing so in the opening day Dodger Day disaster. Was fun to watch, too. You propose to your wife on the field, and you get tackled for doing so at Dodger Stadium. Stay in the seats and get it on the kiss cam. That's how I look at it. It's been a great Friday here, great March Madness. For Michael Bronner, I'm Corey Labounty. You've been listening to The Final Drive.